Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1300. Yes, 1300 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Monday. And this is actually part two of two with myself and Glenn Willis of Peachtree Hoops talking about Trey Young in player capsule fashion. So if you missed part one, start there. That's the best place to do it. It's sort of a chronological conversation about, for about an hour plus between myself and Glenn. But this is part two you're about to listen to right now. Part two, more focused on Trey looking ahead to this season with Jante Murray and a new look roster around him defensively, offensively, etc. Part one focused more on last year and how he played and how he's really awesome in a lot of different ways. So that's always fun to talk about as well. But please subscribe to the podcast. And without further delay, you'll have the intro and then part two with myself and Glenn. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I do want to get to a little bit of looking ahead and kind of adjusting for what's going to happen this next year. It's kind of a convenient time to be doing this. The one advantage of waiting to do this podcast is we have more information on what the roster is going to look like now around Trey. Um, and the big thing is Murray. So we can just start there. Uh, like how that impacts thing. I think a lot of people have just, you know, got to put the pieces together in a lot of ways. They acquired Murray for multiple reasons. Part of that defensively, part of that taking a load off Trey, et cetera. Um, I guess we'll start here broadly like what do you think that actually impacts in terms of the roster we can go the whole roster too but especially with Trey like we kind of all know the theory behind Murray coming in to be the number two and also maybe stagger with Trey but how does it impact Trey on the floor and how does it impact the roster on the floor yes it's it's so interesting to think about on offense you know what are the changes that I expect to kind of come from this acquisition of DeJounte Murray and so much of that comes down to what is Nate willing to do, right? How adaptive and, and maybe um, a little bit innovative are they willing to be? I mean, I, I'm starting to fatigue of the conversation like, oh, they can get Trey <laughs> off ball more. Like, oh my gosh, like, is that really going to happen? Will Trey buy into that? And and I don't say that in a, in a way that like, oh, Trey is selfish. Trey obviously with the ball is as, is as dynamic as almost maybe – any player in the league, right? Maybe yep. there isn't really one more dynamically. So it's not like Trey's like some, you know, you know, 30th best offensive player in the league, just insisting on having the ball all the time. That's not kind of kind of what's happening. Um, but DeJounte's ability to uh, attack with his dribble, his ability to, you know, Trey and DeJounte were two of the five, I don't remember exact rankings, but two of the five most prolific drivers in the league last year. If you look on volume and then kind of their ability to kind of score the basketball and things like that. And so, you know, when going back to the Heat series, it's like if, if, if this Hawks team attacked that, would Trey just rotate the ball to DeJounte and let him attack, you know, um, kind of the the space on the weak side and things like that? It's interesting. Um, you know, Trey was phenomenal in uh, catch and shoot last year. He's always been good, but last year he even kind of took it up to another level. Um, yeah, I made a, a note here in catch and shoot from the three-point line better than Seth. Curry, Zach Levine, Luke Kennard, C.J. McCollum, Buddy Hill, Steph Curry, Doug McDermott. There are others, but he finished. <laughs> right. And, and so in my mind, it's like if you could use DeJounte's presence to uh, kind of ramp down his workload in isolation and ramp up his ability to, to work off the ball, specifically to generate kind of catch and shoot uh, opportunities from the three-point line, that's an opportunity to kind of really raise the overall uh, game there as well. 
but a lot of it will come down to Nate, um, you know, for the good qualities he has. Uh, and I don't, I don't consider his stubbornness inherently all good or all bad. I, I think it, yeah. it take it takes some conviction for a coach to know, like these are the principles I believe in and things like that. But he he is a little bit more on the stubborn side, I think, than um, uh, the average coach these days and things like that. So it's it's really going to be like, uh, can they um, get trade off ball more? Can they do that specifically to generate an even more optimized shot profile for Trey? And then lastly is, can they help Trey save some gas for the end of the game, you know, by doing that as well? And so for me, is like we can talk a little bit if you want to about like X's and O's and kind of what kind of actions they could run. That's not always great podcast content. <laughs> but generally speaking, in terms of like, I mean, DeJounte is a phenomenal driver and he's really quick and he's really a good decision maker on the drive in terms of shoot, pass, Etc. And if it's simple as okay, when they trap Trey, Dezante is just going to get the ball and attack four on three, whatever that might look like from the, the opposite side of the wing or whatever. A lot they can do there, a ton they can do there. Whether they actually let Dezante set up and run the offense with Trey functioning kind of uh, in traditional kind of shooting guard role in certain actions and things like that, we'll see if that happens. I think it's a great wrinkle, a great idea, and a great way to optimize. Uh, Trey's ability to, like I said, manage his energy throughout the whole game and continue to optimize his shot profile. But we'll see. Those are my kind of high-level general general thoughts there, um, apart from going deep on actions <laughs> and exits for those and stuff. Yeah, no, I think it's so interesting because, you know, we're covering this stuff at a deeper level than than most. I think on, you know, the national shows, it's like a five-minute conversation about how Trey can move off the ball and Murray can be on the ball and pressure. And I get it. And it's a very simple conversation in some ways, but it's also not if you are paying close attention. Because one of the things I've been consistently kind of pounding the table on is that, yes, in theory, you know, Trey as the off-ball guy and DeJounte as the on-ball guy for their own strengths and their own weaknesses does make some sense because Murray doesn't, he's not a great shooter. Trey obviously has the great catch and shoot numbers, et cetera. It's like, okay, that's a very natural thing you can sort of put in your as in your mind something that can work. And by the way, it, it can work. That might be able to work. But, and there was the whole thing about Trey and Steph going back to the draft and all that stuff. Like we know, having watched him, he's not been the most willing off-ball player all the time. And now, but the argument there in his defense, and I've always managed to say this as well, is like he's never had a guy that he trusted enough, I think, to move to be off the ball like this. And I think he wanted Murray. Maybe maybe that's part of the deal is that he kind of knows he'll be playing off the ball more. Uh, but something I want to stress is like you don't want Trey to be off the ball that much because Trey is so good on the ball. Like you, uh, Trey is better than Murray on the ball. And I think everyone knows this for the most part. But it's one of those things where like you – what you don't want to do is go away from your number one strength. You could argue on the entire roster, you could argue Trey with the ball in his hands is the number one strength of the entire Hawks team. You could argue that he's been that good at that. They built their whole offense around it for multiple seasons. And by the way, they've been awesome on offense. They were number two in the league on offense last year. So like, you don't want to get away from that. That's, that's the one thing you don't want to do is just like kind of forget what makes you good. So there is this delicate balance and you know, yeah, Nate is kind of stubborn. And I think it's going to take him a little while I've been saying this for a while too, but like, I think it's going to be some your turn, my turn for a little bit just to like get used to everything what's going on. But like the idealized version is interesting too, because yeah, I think Murray's going to have to figure out again, or at least remember early in his career, like what it was like to play more off the ball. Cause last year he was a very on ball player last year. And by the way, that was the right decision in San Antonio where he was the best player on the team. That's not the case anymore. And Trey 
is going to have to remember. I know I've, I've seen uh, even his dad say this. Like, you know, he he, he's not, he was sometimes an off-ball player at the lower levels, and that that is true. Like, he played with Michael Michael Porter Jr. and he played, and like he wasn't always the guy. But that's six seven years ago. Like, he's been essentially running on-ball stuff every possible rep for his entire NBA career and in college. So, like, I don't know. I don't know what you think about this. I know it's kind of exhausting because we haven't seen it yet. I'm, I'm excited to see it. I know you're excited to see it. But, like, just trying to figure out what the actual blend should be is a challenge because we, we haven't seen it yet. And I know it's probably a little bit less Trey on ball than it has been in the past. But, you know, how much does how, how much can you sort of activate DeJounte as this off-ball player and, you, like you said, atta- attacking closeouts, attacking off the catch, and, uh, you know, Trey's willingness and just the lack of juice. Because the thing is – I know I've said a lot, but I'll say one more thing before I forget to say it. Uh, it's really hard to play off the ball and be really active. Like Steph's a, Steph's a complete freak. Like you have to be in – and Trey's in great shape, by the way. Trey's in fantastic shape. But especially when you factor in how to play defense too, like to really bust it like that, like you really have to off ball is very difficult sometimes. Sometimes harder Sometimes harder than being on the ball. As, as funny as that might sound, it might even be more difficult for a guy like Trey, as small as he is, and how much he's going to have to be, like, how much attention he's going to draw too. Like he's always going to have two eyes, three eyes, four eyes on him across the court. Like it's not like it's going to be, it's not easier for him. Like maybe you're, maybe if you just spot him up, that'd be easier. But if you're actually asking Trey to like run on off ball stuff, that isn't like a break for him. <laughs> That's like having to bust it around. So uh, there's just a lot going on. Today's show is brought to you by Rocket Money. Are you sick or managing your finances with buggy spreadsheets, or do you have an inbox that's overflowing with bills, or you're simply afraid to check your actual bank statement? If any of those actually apply to you right now, it's time to take back control of your financial life with Rocket Money, which is formerly Truebill, our favorite financial app. So why did Truebill change its name to Rocket Money? We'll tell you. Truebill is now backed by Rocket Companies and has grown from the bill management app into a full-on personal finance empowerment tool that helps more than 3.4 million people with budgeting, lowering bills, canceling subscriptions, and much more. That saves members of Truebill and now Rocket Money on average $700 per year. And with all of that comes the next evolution in Truebill's story, of course, and that is a new name. Bottom line, Rocket Money is everything that we already loved about Truebill with a fresh look and a fresh feel. Start canceling those unused or unwanted subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash LockedOnNBA or download the app from the Apple Store or the Google Play Store at this point in time. One more time, that is rocketmoney.com slash LockedOnNBA. There is, and, and and that's why, and and I mean, we could turn this into a three-hour conversation. I, I, we can't do that, but it's not as simple as saying get him off the ball. It's like, how do you do that? What action do you use to do that? Because just to use one example, let's say, you know, Nate uh, has ran a lot of floppy action for Bogdanovich and Herder um, um, the last few years where basically you kind of imagine – the shooting guard in that case, starting under the basket, be able to get a screen on either side and kind of work up, right? But when they set up to run floppy, the opposing defense knows they're running floppy and they know the point guard is basically dribbling at the top of the key, waiting for this action to work itself out and see where yep. the leverage is. The Hawks run two-man floppy now where one breaks on one side and the other breaks to the other side, depending on where the first one breaks. But, like, if you put just put train a floppy, the whole defense is just going to, like, Try to stare at, like stare at him, <laughs> stare at him, and then like yeah. you know get some contact on it, but he's coming off that screen, and so in my mind it's like you can't just say, well, let's just run to floppy here because Trey's no, that's not going to work because Trey's still going to be the focus, right, of the yep. defense. What 
again to simplify what Golden State does with, with with Steph, that might be a little bit of a model. Steph's a different player, um, but they use a lot of loop action where Steph will come down, give the ball up, work around the backside of the perimeter of the offense, and kind of based upon reading the play, he has a whole lot more space to work with than floppy, which is more kind of contained action, things like that. And Steph has like really maximized the way that Golden State runs their leap action. And I I, uh, put a a clip of Steph and the Warriors doing that on Twitter a while back. I'll try to go find it and retweet it again after this podcast post. But giving him more space, giving him an opportunity to read where he wants to go with the space that he has, more so than giving him a spin down screen at a specific spot where there's going to be traffic intentionally generated by the defense congestion and physicality. And so in my mind, they've got to open it up give him a space, give him the read and things like that. Like you generate typically with loop action, more so than something like floppy wear or pin downs or things like that. Because if it's pin down, they're just going to top block him. They're going to be physical with him. But if you give him that space, the way the golden state opens it up and gives Steph that space, it doesn't have to be the exact kind of loop action the warriors run, but something to just to give him more space to work with off the ball. That's to me, the strategic direction to go. Not just like, hey, let's just get trade off ball. You've got to be very intentional about how you do it, what you want to do, and what he needs specifically as this guy who's even smaller than Steph, right, to be able to kind of maximize all of that. Think about him being at the top of the, the key with staggered screens. The whole idea is to give him a space to attack, right? Same goal when he's off ball. Create whatever action you run, creating space for him be able to take advantage of that space, leverage that space, not putting him in the tight quarters where there's an obvious screen coming his way and the opposing defense just clamps him down with top block or physical stuff around the screen and stuff like that. So, again, without going into, like, five different uh, sets they could run to do this, that's just a general idea. Give him space to use off the ball just like you do on the ball uh, and, and make sure that that's kind of the objective of what you're running there not just setting him in a specific spot to get a screen where the defense knows that's what's coming and they can uh, contain him just as easily um, uh, through that way. So th- those are my thoughts there. DeJounte can definitely run, uh, set up, and get them into anything they want to get into. I have oh, yeah. no doubt about that. That's important. Um, but, you know, so there's that piece. It's like, can they get him off ball? They So how do they do that? The other piece is, is it simply as DeJounte's just going to attack creases when the defense slows up on Trey because Dejounte is phenomenal at attacking creases. So those are the two big kind of areas that I expect um, Dejounte to be able to kind of uh, help um, unlock more so. Uh, the Hawks have been frustrated with um, a lack of aggressiveness from Hunter and then sometimes Herter to really attack creases and get deep all the way to the rim. Dejounte, no hesitation there at all, <laughs> willingness to do that. Um, so those are the big those are the big things that I'm looking for. Yeah, I was going to ask you like what you think the optimal approach is for Murray when he's off the ball. Like when Trey is in his traditional on-ball role, uh, you know, lots been made of Murray as not this great shooter. And you know, for the most part, I'm uh, not always, but for the most part of the last few seasons, the Hawks have had um, their more prominent wings, and which Murray's going to be acting as a wing a lot of the time when he's playing with Trey, have been at least pretty good toward pretty good or better shooters from three-point range. And there's been a lot of just, like, spot-up stuff. You know, Bogey and obviously Bogey and Herter move off the ball pretty well and have done some uh, some, other, some other things. But there's been a lot of, especially with the low-leverage guys, like your Tony Snells along the way, like, there's been a lot of, like, stand-in-the-corner wings on this team. Um, Murray's 
probably not best to use doing that because he's not a great shooter. So you kind of got into it there with him, with him attacking Crease, but I wanted to, I know it's not the uh, the Dejounte Murray player capsule we're doing now, but I want I want to know what like, what does it look like because you know they're I'm sure they're going to hope that he improves as a three point shooter, but it, mo- most of his shooting progression in the last couple of years has been more in the mid range where he's actually become quite good and pretty prolific in the mid range. But like that's more like setting himself up for that, not necessarily being created for. So like. What does it look like? Is it, is it just as simple as like you're hoping he just catches and goes on those creases, like you said, or is like you're maybe de- trying to develop three point shooting? Like where's the where's the balance there for Murray playing off Trey? Because again, you still want Trey to do Trey stuff on the ball. Yeah, I mean, so, so much of that is dictated by what the opposing defense is running, right? Yeah. Um, so, but what I'll say is this: I'll, I'll emphasize this again. I think Hawks fans will be surprised at how strong and physical the player Murray is, right? Yeah. Um, and there, uh, there's basically two at a high level, two ways to kind of get him in the creases. One is if a defense is just loading up on Trey, that's going to create space on the weak side, rotate the ball, say, say Trey's working towards the right three point break, rotate the ball towards the left three point break, and let him attack that before the defense can kind of get back down and take that space away. <coughs> it's a very simplistic way. Another thing I would encourage Hawk fans to think about and go back and look if they if they have the ability to, and I might find a few plays if I can find some time. When Harden showed up in Philadelphia, the first five or six games or so, everyone was waiting to see what are the what Sixers going to run with Harden and Embiid. And what they basically did was uh, sometimes they would use Embiid as a screener and then kind of float him to the weak side. But Harden would collapse a defense, move the ball to Embiid, and Embiid would attack the crease, which is it's kind of bonkers to think about a guy his size being a guy who's attacking the creases with the dribble. Um, but don't be surprised if it's DeJounte guard-guard screen action to create some space there and then let DeJounte kind of have that crease that is created there. The Hawks typically do that with staggered screen, guard or wing, than a big. But I wonder if this year we're going to see some trade DeJounte guard-guard uh, no second screener, just to kind of create space for those two guys to kind of attack, whether that's Trey getting uh, kind of a step downhill coming off the screen or the defense loading up towards Trey and just kicking the ball right to DeJounte, DeJounte attacking the crease on the other side. So I think they're going to play smaller lineups more this year. I think with Trey DeJounte, also those two factors set themselves up to play with more pace, especially in the half court. Um, and I, I think that uh, DeJounte is super decisive as compared to way like Herder played at times. Uh, I don't think Hunter's ever going to be a super decisive player. Uh, I've written about, I wrote about that in my Hunter piece a few weeks ago, how he really needs just space and leverage and things like that. And he could benefit too. And so for me, it's, um, it's more pace creating space and leverage and letting Trey and DeJounte kind of work out uh, some rhythm and some, uh, kind of collaborative ability to just see the leverage of space that's created and work together to kind of attack that. That's a really different dynamic that we've seen from the Hawks offense the last few years. So um, a lot of that comes down to our opposing defenses switching. Are they not switching? Are they switching everything? Are, uh, how do they handle guard guard screens? And, you know, and we'll see if the Hawks coaching staff um, can uh, kind of work on the fly, I think a little more than they have in the past few years, or just, empower those guys to kind of be a little bit ad hoc in the way that they're uh, creating leverage um, uh, in themselves and kind of uh, and stuff. The, the Hawks have this coaching staff under Nate has always been, a, in my mind, a little slow to react to adjustments and things like that. That goes a little bit back to uh, Nate's stubbornness, which isn't all bad to <laughs> kind of emphasize again. But I really do think a, a lot of it's going to be 
just the power of those two guys, give them uh, an idea of kind of this is how we want to get you guys into a certain action or set, but don't think much past the first action or second action, you know, let them kind of work that out. And, and I think that they'll be, I, I think it could, could be, uh, could, could be great. Uh, it's going to be interesting this, that, you know, that I wrote that there's no way DeJounte is going to replicate his assist numbers from last year. There's just, there, there's just no way. Right. Um, but DeJounte could uh, be an even more impactful scorer functioning in the creases, attacking with his dribble, uh, things like that. And he is a great at driving, collapsing and kicking. So it's not like his assists are going to completely go away. Um, so that's what I expected to both of them, you know, probably different podcasts talk about, well, what is it when DeJounte is on and Trey is on? That's a different podcast. Um, but in terms of what I, I'm kind of looking for when both are on, that's, that's generally what I'm looking for. Bringing it back to Trey a little bit, um, it's actually a question that I've been getting, so I'm going to pose it to you a little bit. Uh, I've been talking about like the lack of shooting, relatively speaking, compared to previous years, just basically turning, in some ways, turning Herter and Gallinari into uh, Murray and Justin Holiday or whoever you want to look at that, just kind of have a, having less guaranteed shooting on this roster, especially with Bogey's question around him physically. Um, and this is a whole, that's a whole different thing. If Bogey's not available, they're going to have a real lack of shooting. That's like kind of inarguable. But um, even as it is now, how much, how much and how so does it impact Trey in your mind as he operates the offense to just kind of have less of that uh, around him? Because I think, again, a lot of his reps the last, really his entire career has been, you know, role man, screen setter, especially Capella in the last couple of years, as, that, as you talk about all the time, the nuanced screen setting, but also just like three guys spotting up around that. A lot of, it's kind of a, a lot of what the Hawks have done. And it works, always works. It's worked very well with great shooting. Last year, they were a top two, three-point shooting team in the league, I think, by accuracy numbers. That probably won't replicate itself without Herder and Gallo on this roster. But like, long story short, like, do you not not necessarily like worry, but how does it impact Trey to have a little bit just less knockdown shooting around him than he's had the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a concern. I think I think you know, I think it's a it would be unfair to try to say articulate that as something other than a concern. It's like, how yeah. is this going to work? You know, Trey was shooting is kind of. A simplistic plan that you know everyone, anyone would kind of, kind of come up with. There. Trey with one role man and shooting has basically been the core of their offense for <laughs> for right. three years. Yeah, right. I, 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 I wonder if the the thought process around that part of the change of the roster is okay. We've got to be better on defense. We have to be better on defense, right? Oh yeah. And in my and so in my mind, it's like, well, sure, you'd love for Gallo to be in the weak side corner every single time Trey and Capella are working a high pick and roll or, or whatever, or bogey. Um, but I think sometimes the thought is if you know Justin Holiday is in the weak side corner and and we and through what we're running is creating a wide open shot shot in the corner for them, like does it have to be like a, a really highly functional shooter like Gallo? Or can it be like, I trust Justin Holly to knock down open corner threes enough to kind of make that work? Yeah. So, you know, same could be true of Harkless. He, he, he shot the ball terrible last year. Um, but if it's going to be wide open, uh, you know, corner threes, for example, that that's there. Um, the Hawks have relied a ton on movement from the weak side and the lifting from the corner to the three-point break as the defensive tagger engages, right? And so I, I don't see as much shooting on the move. Like Gallo's excellent at that. Herder is excellent at that. Bogey as well. But that's going to be Hunter a lot this year, I think, you know, it, it, in that role sometimes. 
Bogdanovich, when he's able to kind of play, that will be there too. So I think a little bit of what they run will depend upon which shooters are on the floor with Trey and DeJounte. In those cases, do they have someone who can shoot on movement, in which case they'll use that traditional pick and roll more and try to draw that defense in, or they do something a little bit uh, – uh, that that calls for a little bit less movement, more kind of stat up, static spacing, which I think I trust a few of those guys to do. So definitely their shooting talent has been downgraded just overall and generally. Um, but there are some things that you could do to say, hey, we're trading off maybe a few made shots uh, for more defense um, and, and kind of go, go from there. Um, you know, I, I don't know what to expect from Jalen as a shooter if he's kind of in the rotation all the time. I don't know what we'll to see. expect. Yeah. Right. Is a, how much is AJ going to play this year? Are they working reworking his shot at all? I have no idea. Um, with JC's hand, it, what do I expect from his shooting? Is it going to be is he going to be a thirty nine percent three point shooter again? I don't know. So I think there's also a lot of variables there. But fair question because they have down. I mean, Gallo is as good of a shooter as you get at the position, right? Um, and then you know Herder, phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal shooter, and you replace right. that with more of a driver. You know, if we want to say DeJounte is kind of his replacement. So it'll be interesting to see um, what the impact is. There are some things they could do schematically to, I think, adjust for a little bit that, but not all of it. And it's going to be a factor in some way. So they, they've got to find a way to uh, squeeze more offensive efficiency, I think, out of other uh, actions in other areas. And we'll see if they can do that. And before, uh, and I appreciate all the time but that you've given me, as always, before we get out of here, I do have to ask you about the defense because, you know, part of part of Trey's, the team-building challenges with Trey are just the fact that you have Trey on defense. And everybody knows that. That's not a secret. Um, that's part of the, one of the reasons why they wanted to bring in a player like Murray. Uh, every time, I, know you, I was uh, sharing this audio with people all the time, anytime Landry talked or Travis talked, or there was always the two things they wanted to fix were the point-of-attack defense and having another guy to pl- to handle the ball and create. And with Murray, they get both of those things. That was the whole point of doing that trade. Um, but, like, you know, how does that impact, well, obviously, view it through the lens of Trey for this podcast purposes, but, you know, we, we kind of already know what Trey is defensively. I guess there's diff- different questions of, like, can Trey improve? How much can Trey improve? But also just having a guy like Murray um, to go along with Hunter, who's been the other guy they've used kind of as that point of attack guy the last couple of years as well, but not having to only have Hunter do that, having another guy who can really be, you know, besides, besides DeLon in a smaller role, of course, who they used last year, but DeJounte, you know, a 30 plus minute a game player who you can rely on there. How does all, how does that all impact Trey and by proxy impact the whole roster? Because I think I agree with what you just said, like they're banking on the defense improving and maybe the offense is not going to be quite as good last year as they were last year. Cause that's just, they were so good that just the math on that is like, they probably will regress a little bit offensively. They're going to have to be much better defensively and they definitely know that, but that's uh, it's easier said than done. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about the defense. So, with, with, so to, to, I kind of isolate Trey as a defender. Um, I don't think there's a lot of nuance to get in there. It's <laughs> size yeah. and energy he has on that end, considering his the offensive uh, workload and the exertion that comes with that. And the second is just um, effort, you know. And how can he sustain a more consistent level of effort on that end? A part of that probably is ramping down his workload on offense. Now, whether that results in fewer shot attempts or a lower usage, there, there are ways to adjust a, a, some energy savings on offense, maybe give that there. So it, it's not as simple as like, hey, Trey, play harder on defense because it, it, there has to be kind of a plan for how you're going to 
save a little bit of his juice for in the court. So that that's there. That's always going to be there. Like we could we can have this conversation, Brad. Five years from now, it's going to be exactly the same size, effort, size, effort, size, effort. Yeah. But but what do the Hawks kind of kind of do? I, it, I know some of the conversations I'll get into with Hawks fans on Twitter is should they be switching all the time? Should they not be switching all the time? Should they play a more traditional kind of defensive scheme? And again, I, I kind of hate to always go at the same players, but if you look at what Golden State has historically done with Steph, even when they've been playing a switch-heavy scheme, and you saw this, you may recall seeing this in the Golden State's run to this title, is they switched a ton, right? Uh, even when Looney was on, they would switch a ton. Yep. The one person they wouldn't switch was Steph. Was Steph, yep. Right. And the Hawks did that a lot last year. It was like, okay, we're running our red scheme. They typically switch more one through four, not one through five. Will we see more one through five this year with the Conduit Center, for example? Maybe maybe not. But if we look back last year, it was we're switching one through four, but not Trey. Trey's going to show to the level of the screen and then clear out and give the defender that's on the ball space to stay on that ball. And And for me, it's like if Hawks fans are asking, like, what should they do? A lot of it comes down to the opponents. Like, is the opponent capable of punishing switches? That's a different – there's a different answer to every team. Yep. And so in some cases, I think you could play a more conservative strategy like against the Knicks, you know, not worried about their shooting a lot. You're trying to pack the paint and kind of keep the ball out of the paint. And that's a very different thing than, say, going up against Harden and Embiid with Philly or going up against the Warriors and things like that. So I think the the – the defensive scheme they'll run the most is red scheme, one through four base switching, except for Trey. That'll be kind of, I think, from a volume perspective, we see the most. But I think there'll be times when going into a matchup where the other team isn't so dynamic offensively and maybe doesn't have the point of attack uh, guy that you really have to worry so much about, where they're going to play a little bit softer, save a little more energy, uh, and, and, and rely on Clint to kind of keep things organized on the backside of the play. But the one last thing here is that this is what always confounded me of uh, the idea that the Hawks were going to or needed to trade JC. Because with Trey on the court, you need a power forward who can come down and help with the rim, help protect the rim when the center gets pulled away. And it's rebound. like JC re- for sure rebound, right? Yep. And DeJounte will help a ton as a rebounder yes. for sure. But like if you're if you're playing more of a wing size guy or a wing skilled guy for than JC, it's like that weak side help at the rim with Trey is so critical. And not only that, but opposing teams have loved to put Trey on the weak side baseline and make him the helper at the rim. And increasingly last year, one thing the Hawks were better at was JC would notice that, get down to the baseline, kick Trey up, regardless of how that got them matched up, so that JC was in position to be the helper at the rim. And they've gotten – give Nate and the team and the coaching staff credit for the way that they got better organized on the weak side to keep Trey out of that spot. So in my mind, let's just continue seeing more of that smart uh, switch uh, switch base scheme, keeping Trey out of the switch, giving him the right kind of support, good organization on the weak side. Bogdanovich was good at that. DeLon was good at that, even just recognizing, hey, let's shift this here you know, and things like that. And so I think they may miss DeLon a little bit there. We'll see if DeJounte can kind of help because DeJounte is really good on the weak side in a vacuum. Um, so that's what I'm watching. So one through four switching, keep Trey out of the switch, play more conservative when the other team doesn't have so much to throw at the point of attack, and then getting organized on the weak side to keep, keep Trey away from being low man or the helper at the rim. Those are the big themes that I'm looking for on defense. I think that can work even to a better degree with the defensive personnel they have this this year with 
the Holiday Brothers and and Mo Harkless and um, and some of the additions that they've had, kind of in that area where the, the especially where the second unit is is as more talented defensively. Yeah, I think generally speaking, the defensive talent is clearly better on paper now. The one wild card is Jalen, um, but at the same time. He's he's replacing Gallo in a lot of ways. So like, there's always so much of uh, you know, Gallo has his own foibles along the way. We, we uh, you and I have, have been famously saying like, we, we just don't know what to expect from Jalen, especially on defense. Like, that's one of the reasons that I heard he was not considered to more, play more last year is that they're not going to trust yeah. his defense yet. And I get that. That's it, just young players in a lot of ways. They're going to struggle there. Griffin's the same thing. I expect very little from Griffin's defense if he plays. I think he'll probably be pretty bad early on. We'll see. Right. But just having Murray for again, Murray for starters minutes. Holiday is a good defender. Um, Harkless, if he ever plays, is a good defender, rock solid, and t- and taking Gallo out. I think Herter Herter is not terrible, but Murray is better than Herter defensively, so that's an upgrade too. Um, Herter's a little bit longer and all that stuff too, but you know it is what it is. Like, I think just the personnel overall, pending any injuries, but as long as you have, if, if you have forty eight minutes of Capella and Okongwu plus Collins and improved wing slash point of attack defense. That's much better than you were. Like you're never. You, they don't have top ten personnel defensively because you have Trey on the floor. Uh, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of it. It's not all of it, but Trey's presence kind of almost prevents you from being an elite defense in some ways. But um, the, the the pathway I've been saying for a while is still be awesome on offense, and just get back to league, you know, league averages on defense. That's a really good team. If they if they're still really good on offense and they're okay defensively, that's a fifty win recipe in a lot of ways. And that's really? what they're what, what they're banking on because they they still know this is an offensive team. I mean, there are certain guys on the roster you would say are better defensively than offensively, but the other the other way is more uh, more frequent on this roster. They still yeah. have more offensive guys than defensive guys, especially because Trey is like a ten versus a one on offense and defense. There are some guys who are close, like you would say that you know guys like uh, you know John Collins is fairly Collins is good is better on offense and defense, but he's a pretty good pretty good defender. Murray, same thing. Murray might be better on offense and defense, but he's a really good defender. Like there's there's different trade offs. Yeah, for sure. And it's so much of like how you optimize Trey is the people around him. And like, I'd love to see Jalen on the floor more. Personally, I've said this, but I I would stop playing him at the four on defense, play him at the three on defense. I think he, he doesn't know what he's doing when he's put into the screen. Uh, and understand that. I mean, I, I get that. That's hard to learn. That's like the one of the hardest oh, yeah. things to learn on defense. Um, but when you kind of get him at the three, he's able to kind of be more of a rover and a disruptor. You know, and things like that. So can you, for example, can you play him with Harkless? And on offense, Jalen's the four, Harkless is the three. On defense, Harkless is the four. Jaylen. There, there, well, there is a yeah. there's a way to get Jalen on the court more and a way that's safe defensively to do so, in, in my mind, anyway. And it's probably going to be the same thing for AJ, at least in this year and maybe even into next year, is you cannot put him on the court as a defensive big, a four or a five. No. It, it's way too much to ask of those guys. But that might be where Harkless, like you said, like how much is Harkless going to play? I don't really know, but we don't know. But he can play defense, like that's the thing. He can play defense, and he can play the four on defense, which could help you get those young wings on the court, or you know, young big forwards on the court more. And that's if he's on the team, critical like, to me. Yeah, as, as you know, they could still move on from Harkless for tax reasons or whatever. I don't know what's going to happen there. If he's on the team, you're going to have an injury at some point and he's going to be in rotation for a week or two. Like I, they might just go with Jalen. And I think that would be something that would please Hawks fans in, as a backup power forward position. But there is some value to have more Harkless around. Like they're not exact same player, but think of more Harkless as Solomon Hill in a lot of ways. Right. Like they're not the exact same guy, but they have a lot of the same strengths, a lot of the same weaknesses. Um, and he's a vet. He just knows what to do. Like 
he's he's going to be a guy that uh, you and I are are uh, sort of predisposed to liking more than everybody else does because of what sure. he does. That's just yeah. what it is. Um, kind of like Capella in some ways. But yeah, there, there's some value in having a guy like Harkless around to unlock some things. But yeah, I mean, to kind of put a point out for Trey, like we kind of know the deal with Trey. It's building around him, and the way I actually thought it was interesting. The I think it's out now. Yeah, Nate, I talked to Nate Duncan a little bit on his show, and I want to know what you think of this before we get out of here. He he posed this to me. It's like for the last couple of years, in his mind, they the Hawks were kind of built around Trey's strengths and kind of accentuating them, um, and now he wonders if they're now kind of building around Trey's weaknesses a little more in the way that they built their roster, like especially with Murray and especially with kind of the uptick defensively. It's like, okay, we now know that we can't ignore the weaknesses. Not that they were before, but I thought it was an interesting point, like a way to frame that. Not that I agree 100% across the board, but I, I definitely see what, where he's coming from with that because they've definitely kind of bulked up defensively in a way that they got maybe not just Trey's weaknesses, but the, the team's weaknesses, like just kind of the inherent like, Trey is the face of the franchise, but they definitely have tried to do a, fix that in some ways with Murray because you know Murray is an all-star and generally speaking when you acquire an all-star it's to help your offense and yeah he's gonna help the offense when Trey sits especially but really that move was half as much about defense it, it really was so we'll see I, I agree and for me I know like Hawks fans last year were really frustrated with like Clint right and I kept saying over and over when the point of attack defense is that bad you could have the, the shack and it's gonna be hard to protect <laughs> the paint and the rim because there's no integrity point of attack I think part of this too is like, how do we set ourselves up to leverage Clint's strengths more? Yep. So a little bit of trading off of kind of getting into Trey's weaknesses a little bit, but generating kind of more opportunity to let Clint be the impactful player he was, especially during the Eastern Conference final run a year and a half ago. So I, I would agree with you, I agree with you totally that the roster there's kind of been a trade off, but it's like okay, we can't just build around Trey. How do we optimize Clint? You know, on defense as our defensive organizer our defensive anchor last year that was terrible i mean it was a, a straight f there's a, i can't even talk myself into a d minus it was that <laughs> bad <clears throat> so part a part of the evaluation of moving themselves up defensively is like how do we put lines on the court that allows clint to be the impactful defender that we know he is and we know he can't be and i think that's what they sell, set themselves up for and i think they're trusting trey you know with maybe uh uh to a decent degree, a less optimized offensive roster and less optimized offensive lineups that will be on the court with him in, in, in the form of less shooting, you know, things like that. And, hey, we're just going to trust Trey to, to make us a top-five offense. On defense, we've got to give ourselves some uh, integrity on the, at the perimeter, you know, ball screens, et cetera, et cetera, to allow Clint to be the impactful defender we know we can be. And I think that's part of kind of raising it. So is it a risk? Like, like I know I could like put a ton of shooting on the floor with Trey and the Hawks are should win 44 to 46 games just based upon just outscoring on the team enough. But if you're trying to get to a higher range, you, you do have to take a little bit of risk. I think they're taking some risk here. It has to be well, well managed. Um, and we'll see if the Hawks coaching staff can kind of keep them optimized and, and playing through the strengths this new roster has. Um, but on offense, I mean, like I said, get Trey off ball, do it the right way, give him the leverage and the space he needs, et cetera. We we'll have to go over that again. But if you can kind of do that, there's there's just a lot of trust you could just have in Trey at producing the offense to kind of get them where they need to be. Now this roster, is it enough defensive talent? Do you have enough kind of baked into the rotation one through 11 players or whatever it's going to be to kind of give you a chance to have 
um, you know, good stretches of defensive play, that remains to be seen, but they certainly seems to they seem to have intentionally moved toward trying to create a roster that gives them an opportunity to hopefully do that. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. We'll see how this all works. I'm sure we'll talk about all kinds of other angles that we could have touched on this podcast if we wanted to make it three hours. This is already, uh, I think, going to be a two-parter that goes, you know, 60-plus <laughs> minutes, and I appreciate your uh, insight as always, Glenn. Um, like I said before, uh, Glenn has given me a ton of time, and if you missed any of our player capsules from Capella to Okongwu to Collins to Bogdanovich, Hunter, et cetera, those are still available in the feed from earlier this summer, and I appreciate Glenn's time. I'm sure I'll beg you to come back on again in the future, my friend. Where can people find your work? Uh, I know you are prominent in the Hawk space, other than this podcast where you simply guess sometimes. You have that other show that you talk about sometimes with our friend Kevin. Yeah, that other show, uh, which we, <laughs> we, we finally – uh, connected and recorded an episode recently. So if you want to hear 10 minutes on Frank Kaminsky. Uh, oh, yes. I love that. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, go check that out. Eightail on 29. Uh, Brad's friend of me and friend of me of this pod, uh, Kevin Shenard. Hi, Kevin. Um, um, Peace Tree Hoops is where my writing uh, tends to come out. Wrote a piece on how critical Hunter is to the next Hawks season a few weeks ago, if you haven't seen that. Uh, maybe check that out. Um, I'll retweet the Trey Young player uh, season review uh, from a few from ever how many months ago that was now when this popped. So that if you want to go give that a look there as well. And then on Twitter at Wilson underscore Glenn, a lot of a lot of X's and O's breaks down and kind of technical material. Uh, if you enjoy that sort of thing, um, give me a follow there. I also just enjoy conversation. We'll engage with uh, almost anyone in any conversation. <laughs> that's uh, obvious. That's it, if, if it's obviously not trolling and not just intensely adversarial, I'll, I'll almost always engage and have a conversation with you. So I enjoy it. So look for me there at Willis underscore Glenn. Definitely recommend that at the highest level. Glenn is very, very smart covering the Hawks and basketball in general. And thank you, sir, for joining me on the podcast. We'll do it again in the future, I'm sure. Sounds good. Appreciate you having me, Brad. As for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast. Follow Glenn. Follow me if you'd like to. Follow the show at Lots on Hawks. And we'll see you next time.